Hello, and welcome to Unsheathed with your hosts, Kyle Gold and Cam Hirosaki. We hope that you enjoy the program. Please stick around afterwards. There'll be cake and blowjobs. Hi, and welcome to Unsheathed number 11. I'm Kyle Gold. I'm Cam Hirosaki. And joining us for this episode is a very special guest. I'm not too. Um, first thing we want to talk about here, besides welcoming our other not otter friend, is to thank uh, yet another otter, who is Colson, who provided the bumpers that you're hearing on this episode, and hopefully on some past episodes and some future episodes. Um, he does music, he's very talented, and if you're interested in hearing some of his work that does not serve as bumpers for podcasts, you can go to his Fur Affinity account. He's just Colson, C-O-L-S-O-N. So, welcome. It's been a while since we did a regular session. Yeah, no, like, Rain First feels like it was like two weeks ago. I know, it was just like, like we've been so many places since then, and it's been forever, but that was a huge amount of fun. Hope hope uh, y'all loved episode 10 as much as we enjoyed recording it. And we're talking to some conventions about doing more live shows in the future, so we will announce those as they come to be. Keep an eye out for them. So I think we'll start with Not Tube reading a question. All right, and I'd just like to say, uh, unlike last time, I've not had sangria this time, so it's unlikely that I'll be uh, claiming that... Uh, Anne Rice wrote the Narnia books, or that uh, Leo Tolstoy is actually Lemony Snicket. So we're and good there. I actually don't have my traditional podcasting wine, but I do have some Bailey's enhanced coffee. But uh, it's decaf, so I'll be okay. And I do have my Coke Zero, but there is no wine in the room right now, which is kind of unusual. I think that's an unsheathed first. Mm, that depends on whether you had wine when we were doing it from different locations a while back. Oh, no, I didn't. Yeah, because I didn't. Yeah. But I didn't have anything then. So, my uh, question here is from a Cinder Elm Creek. It says, I have uh, two questions for you and Kyle, you being uh, Mr. Hirosaki, I believe. How did you come to love writing, and what drives you to want to write? Just to explain a little as to why I'm asking these questions, I'm headed back to college after many years away, and I find myself confronted by biggest academic fear and worst subject, writing. Before I can tackle any electives for my major, I have to finish the three writing requirements I've put off till now. As I grew up, I grew to hate writing in general, for many reasons, and I still struggle with that today. I'm hoping that some insight from two writers who obviously enjoy what they do might possibly give me a fresh perspective from which to approach writing myself. Well, that's it for now. Thanks again for everything you guys do. I look forward to episode six. Well, I hope you enjoyed episode six and, and hope you accept insight from three writers instead of just two. You get a bonus. That's that, that's our uh, recompense for being late with getting you a response. That's a 150% bonus in the writer answering questions area. Plus it's double your otter, double your phone. Well, that's what they say, but... I think it squares it, actually. I don't think anyone here is a square. Or conversely, perhaps we all are. Yeah, maybe. Let's see. How did I come to love writing? That's an interesting question. I guess it's sort of like asking, why do I like wine? Or why do I like chocolate? It's just sort of a thing that I like. And I don't think I've ever given the why behind it much thought. Um, well, I know 
people people have asked me a couple times, I think at Rainforest, how I got started writing. And I just loved the process of making up stories and making up characters. And even before I would write, I remember um, I would make up stories around um, just action figures and whatever else we had around the house, whatever, you know, five-year-old, six-year-old, eight-year-old kids play with. I would make up these elaborate stories with my sister about them and uh, eventually when I got later on in life I would get to the point where I would write some stories down on paper and um, just it was just one of those things that I would always get these ideas and I loved writing them down and other people seemed to enjoy reading them so I kept doing it. Yeah, I remember writing stories of my own volition at least as early as elementary school myself. Yeah, I know I was doing that too. Yeah, and my classmates would make fun of me. It's like, why are you writing something that's not homework? And I'm like, well, I have a story. And most of it would be cribbed from other things that I had read or seen on TV. But in my mind, I was still crafting my own stories. And that's sort of where it all started. Yeah, I uh, I remember the first story I ever wrote back when I was a kid. I I also illustrated it myself. I was multi talented back mm-hmm. then, um, and it was about a uh, this uh, s- sort of blob monster that rose up out of a swamp and was fighting everyone. And then this little girl defeated it by squirting shampoo into its eyes. This later turned out to be the movie Evolution, which some of you may have seen. I'm still waiting for my royalty checks on that. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, f- um, actually, I think there's three things for me that uh, are why I like to write. Uh, first one is just that it's one of the only things that I can actually do. So if I want to feel successful at the end of the day at anything, I pretty much have to write. Or I, I, don't, I don't feel that way. It, I've been able to do it m- probably because I read so much when I was younger and because I've been, I've been writing since I was a kid. But uh, I think the second thing is, like you were saying, I like telling stories. But really, it's more like I like reading stories, and you, usually when the part of writing that I enjoy most is when the story is telling itself to me, and I'm finding out what it is. There's this sort of disconnected sense of discovery with it. I'm, yeah, absolutely. I love yeah. that, too. That's, that's the greatest. But the third thing for me, and this is where I think I differ from a lot of artists and, and, and writers, is that writing for me is about communication. You know, people say it's okay to write just for yourself and never show it to anybody. But for me, that's half the equation. Like a writer needs an, uh, needs a reader to, uh, or a written piece needs a reader for it to be complete. And for me, there's nothing that I enjoy that isn't made better by sharing it with someone else. So that's why I like writing uh, more than any other reason is because I get to be excited by a story and then I get to get someone else excited by the same things that excited me. Yeah, I've never agreed with the whole, oh, write for yourself sort of school of thought. I've I've never adhered to that. And I'm in the same boat where I think of myself as a storyteller and that's what I like to That's what I'm passionate about is what I think it boils down to. Like what you were saying is that's one of the things that you can do and when I have free time and, you know, when I want to be productive and, you know, do something constructive, telling stories is where my brain just sort of naturally goes and that this is how it manifests itself. And I think I'm going to, I'm going to disagree a little bit for the sake of argument and say, um, I think there's a distinction between writing for yourself as in, it doesn't matter if you ever show it to anyone or writing for yourself as in write the kind of things that you would want to read. Oh, no, I agree with you there. Um, but I also think that for some people, just the the act of writing is creative. And there, 
there are less social writers out there who don't need to connect with other people through their writing. And you can... I don't want to stereotype them, but I kind of get that feeling from some of the people when they tell me that they've got, like, um, 300 pages of background on the fantasy world they created and that it it feels at that point to me like they're creating the world for themselves. Like, they've put all this thought into it, not so much to share it with other people, but because it's a fantasy of theirs that they're trying to make more real for themselves. Um, so this is like writing as catharsis. Yeah, and I and while I don't think any of us in the room subscribe to that, I do think that that's a valid form of expression. It's a way that they're expressing themselves, and if they don't feel they have to share it with other people, then um, I don't think that I don't think it's less valid because they don't want to. But there's an interesting paradox there, too, because, I mean, writing as it exists, I mean, the whole purpose of writing is to take an idea from one head and put it into another. So that's why, you know, rules of grammar and punctuation and spelling exist so that you can successfully communicate. So while I definitely understand what you're saying, and I, and I think that that's definitely good for people, it is a little strange to me because you're taking this idea in your head and putting it into a form that's specifically invented to communicate it to someone else and then not communicating it. Uh, yeah, and I, and I agree with that, but I think that um, part of what another aspect of writing that, that probably feeds more into this kind of project is that we're trained from an early age to regard things that are written on paper in in higher regard than just things we hear, which you know, a whole other discussion was not always the case, you know, back before there was written, before there was written records. Um, there's also some stock to say, like, if somebody has hearsay, it's like, oh, there's a difference between, oh, somebody told me this and I read it somewhere. Right. And so I think for a lot of people, the act of writing this down is not so much intended to communicate as it is to make it more real, more permanent, more fixed, because we're putting it into this medium where it has more weight. Well, that's what magic is, right? And that's where we get spelling. Yes. It's a spell. It's written. I mean, that, that when written language first came along and people first started writing p- things down, it was amazing to people that a thought could be there, you know, on a piece of, on a sheep's hide or, or, or in a rock and could be transferred to someone else. Well, it's interesting because you know what the earliest written records that we have discovered are, what the very first things that people wrote down. Isn't it a recipe for beer? <laughs> Um, it was actually records of transactions, numbers of cattle, numbers of grain, things that were traded back and forth. It was economic records. Okay. Now that was the most important thing to the community at that time because they were all just, I mean, they were like, why would you write down stories? We just, you know, big storyteller Joe knows all the stories. Sure. And it would take too long to write down right. a story. Exactly. It's more important that you write down, okay, we're both here right now and I'm giving you three sheep. And we're going to write this down so that, you know, the same thing that happened last year when I gave you three sheep and you said I only gave you two, that ain't going to happen this time because we have this sheep skin here that, well, and now we only have two sheep because we had to kill one to get the skin to write the transaction on. But, um, you know, that was the that was the kind of thing. And I don't know how this ties into the love of writing, but... Now it's sort of like, I paid you for my commission four months ago and you sent me a sketch <laughs> and I haven't heard back from you. Uh, well, yeah, I guess that 
kind of covers why we all love writing. I mean, it's basically it's about communicating with other people. It's about building these common vehicles that we can share thoughts and ideas with, and um, and it's, it just like, it's fun. This thing like in the beginning, man invented writing. And then man used writing to tell dirty stories about animal people giving each other blowjobs. <laughs> and that ties into our second question, I believe, which uh, Hirosaki-san in the corner has. Yes. Uh, and actually, I'm going to delay the blowjob-related question really quick. Uh, first, uh, there's an announcement here from Skip where he says, uh, I was looking through a magazine and discovered that there are some prestigious colleges that offer uh, all other courses online for free. One of these colleges is MIT, and they have they all have some writing classes. Uh, and he provides a link, which we'll put in either the show notes or somewhere in the file. We'll post it online. We'll somehow. post it on the on the FA account. Yeah, and uh, he says I've just started this course. That looks very interesting. Uh, and he asked that if we would mention it on the show. Uh, and he congratulates us on our show and thanks us for the tips and ideas we've given for helping to improve his writing. And I just want to add that I went to the the link that we're going to post, and they have, in the assignment notes for the course, they have three PDFs on conducting workshops, which uh, look fairly interesting. So we're going to, um, we'll talk about that. Oh, we'll put a journal post up on the FA account when we uh, release the episode or just oh, before. Good. I know that we've inspired at least a couple of listeners to start workshops of their own. Yep. So that's good. Keep it up. But uh, getting back on track with blowjobs, uh, Shiro writes in, uh, well, first he says, hey there, Unsheath Crew, Kyle Gold, Cam Hirosaki, and at-risk Wolfie. Aw, Kit, you're at risk. He is. Uh, first, he has a guess for what the KM stands for in Senor Hirosaki's name. I think I'm switching it. <laughs> Senor Hirosaki. <laughs> Senor Hirosaki. I used to actually speak Spanish very well. Not so much anymore. I've been uh, all driven out of your head by the Japanese. Well, no, that Japanese well, has always been there. You know, that's it's, true. So it's, I, I cast a magic spell to put it in there. That is true. Yeah, you downloaded it from the Matrix. Because <laughs> the Matrix is real, you know. You guys. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, his guess for what the KM stands for is a uh, Koyu and Mayasora, which my uh, I actually used to study paleontology, so that amuses me. But uh, he says, I doubt I got the animal right, but there are only two words that he knows for tomodachi. So he thinks he got that part. And I actually do have to apologize here. I apologize to folks who were present at Rainforest. But the clues I actually gave back when I originally did this, I wasn't actually intending to turn this into an actual contest. And I've actually gotten a number of people send in answers. Uh, unfortunately, it was very misleading, and I apologize for this because... It's one of those things where I think even native Japanese speakers probably wouldn't be able to guess this based on the hints that I gave. So Wait, you mean, you mean you're not a native Japanese speaker? No, I mean, I don't think that we have any native Japanese speakers who listen, is what I mean. Oh. And if they did, I don't think that they'd be listening to an erotic furry writing podcast in English. Oh, they might be. They might be. and if But even then, you know, if, if they want to guess, they can. I mean, people can still guess, but please really don't like break your brain trying to look this up in dictionaries. It's not the sort of thing you're going to find out in a Japanese-English dictionary. I'll just say that. Because he was also drunk at the time he was given the clues. <laughs> I was not drunk. I wasn't planning on making it a contest until after I had already given the clues and Kyle put me up to it. 
I put you up to it. I think we should go back and listen to that podcast because, as I recall, you said, well, if anyone can guess this, I'll write a story for him. I think you were the one who prompted me to offer a reward, but anyway. So in summary, yes. guys, it's impossible. Don't try. Otters, <laughs> otters always blaming foxes for the trouble yes. they get into. <laughs> but yes, his question, he says, I also have a question. I've started writing some now that I have my own computer and have found that I have a problem writing sex scenes that he needs to ask. Uh, are there any tips, tricks, styles, or so forth when writing the scene of something such as a blowjob or other? I'll let your minds wander which I think they're doing all the time anyway. Yeah, uh, really, you can't kind of keep us confined very yeah. well. Yeah, I don't have a problem with describing the scene, but making it flow in a way that is erotic and sensual manner is something I find I lack in. Well, first of all, congratulations that you've just gotten a computer and are immediately launching into writing about blowjobs. I approve. Uh, yes, awesome. Yeah. Um, I will say uh, my first recommendation is probably pretty obvious one which is um getting some experience yeah the step one <laughs> i mean it's not impossible to write good erotica without a uh, reservoir of knowledge of the subject but it does make it easier i'll disclaimer myself here by saying that uh of all the people in the room i've or at least speaking in the room, I've written the uh, least erotica. Very, very little of my uh, fiction is erotic fiction, and depending on who you ask, none of it is. Uh, but really? uh, <laughs> I thought I thought not tubes writing was exclusively erotic. No, no, I've I've written a a great. I you've not seen my dissertation on. Uh, no, I haven't. No, but you it, should bring that in. Sometime. It's not erotic, sadly. Yeah, it's uh, out there under a name, but whatever it is, it's not tube, so we can't <laughs> find it. Uh, exactly. But uh, I would say that I think it's kind of counterintuitive, but when you're writing a sex scene, the least important thing in the scene is the sex. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it, what's important is is what the sex means and what else is going on. Why is anything beyond the mechanics uh, happening? What makes that interesting? Because otherwise you could just write about two robots having sex and you know describe it very literally and and yes, you would have your you would have your fans for that. But <laughs> I'm still working on that story idea, by the way. Two androgynous robot foxes having sex. Our regular listeners, don't don't, don't worry that that idea is still germinating in my head. Yep, uh, it's like a ten insert twenty retract thirty go to ten. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. or I mean, in a in a more real world practical example was um, I've talked a lot about listening to Dan Savage in one of his recent podcasts. A woman had asked him. Um, why she was having issues with uh, anal sex and why does it hurt and he was given a very sort of somewhat detailed account of the process that one needs to go through and it was very mechanical and it was not arousing at all it was not erotic at all it was more of an instruction manual and you want to really make sure that when you're writing an erotic scene that you're not writing an instruction manual yeah, I mean, he asks in the actual question, I can write the scene, but how do I make it erotic and sensual? Well, write what's erotic and sensual about it. Don't worry about writing what's physically going on when somebody's giving somebody a blowjob. We all know what goes on, or at least in theory. You know, we have a basic gist of what goes into it. Uh, so write about, you know, what 
the sensual aspect of that is. Either write what you think is sensual about that, write what the character or characters find sensual about what's going on, uh, focus more on that, and that will pull out more of the erotic imagery and more of the, you know, the psychology of what's going on, and that's what's going to be more intriguing than just writing about, you know, penis A into muzzle B. And uh, that's that's kind of why I said, I, I didn't mean it to be flip or anything, but that's why I said gain more experience, because it's very easy to look up the mechanics, to read something describing the mechanics, but until you've actually had some experience, you don't have as much of a sense for what it means and what you're feeling. And, you know, if you've had that moment where you're having sex with someone and you're like, oh my God, this is such a great experience, we're going to be together forever, and felt that ex- felt that emotion build and then go away. That afterwards. emotion's a lie, by the way. Yes. <laughs> I, uh, I, I think that the... the the best sex, or at least the sex is interesting for me to read and to write, is always transformative. And I don't mean that in, like, you know, the literal physical sense. yeah. TSA. Yeah. But, uh, no, I mean, um, you shouldn't come out of that experience this exact same way that you went into it. I mean, even if it's just for a little while, if it doesn't mean something to you, if you're not in a different place than you were when you started, then it's not interesting. Yeah. Before this happened, I was a guy who needed a blowjob, and now I'm a guy who's very relaxed. (laughs) And and that's why, and I I do that with some of the novels where the the sex scenes early on are more detailed because that's where the characters are getting to know each other and the relationship deepens. And as we sort of move on into the book, the the actual sex becomes less critical to the relationship, and they. We, so I kind of abbreviate those scenes or I do fade to black um, it also serves a purpose for the pacing of the book where early on there's not much happening in the way of plot and so the the sex is a nice break for the reader but as you get further on in the book you want more plot and so you kind of cut out the sex because that just gets in the way like a relationship the longer you get into it the less meaningful the sex will be and the more that it just gets in the way you need to get rid of it to make way for the more interesting things jaded much <laughs> i'm such a tool i didn't mean that much you are and i will uh i will not comment on that um but uh yeah, anything else actually I, I, I will say this i've never gotten bored of having sex with people that i like oh there's one thing that I'm, i've said before to you and i think you agreed with it which is that i think that in in a good erotic story um, it should always be the case that the uh, the story can't exist without the sex, and the sex can't exist without the story. Yeah, they both need each other. For otherwise, it feels gratuitous. Feels like, eh, I know what you want to read. Here it is. Now let's get back <laughs> to everything else that's happening. You know, it, it's cynical in a way. And yeah, and I, I do agree with that. And I do. Um, and I think I, we've I've all said, read that story too. Yeah. yeah, I think I. Oh, I should probably shouldn't mention who wrote it. <laughs> I, I won't mention whom NotTube is looking at as he says that. Um, but uh, Oh, snap! <laughs> uh, but I, I, I will say, and I've said this before, that my whole goal in starting out writing erotica was to prove that it was possible to write a story in which you could not remove the sex and have it be as meaningful a story. Um, 
and conversely, you could not remove the story and have the sex mean anything. That you could write a good story that required sex scenes in it. And I'm sure other people have proven that in the past, but I needed to prove it for myself as, you know. That's an interesting point to bring up, too, because one of the things that I've mentioned more than once, not necessarily on the podcast, but just in general, is my story. We do talk outside the podcast from time to time. <laughs> yes, you should hear our deleted scenes. I'm not, I'm not Schrodinger's otter. Our deleted songs. Yeah. Um, is my story pictures of you, and years after writing it, I wrestled with whether or not I should have included actual graphic sex scenes in it. And I kept on convincing myself, oh, I could have taken them out and made it just sort of a more romantic fade to black thing without actually getting into it. And then I I would flip-flop back and forth and back and forth. And I think it's because that story is a borderline case where it doesn't necessarily need to be an erotic story to have the same emotional kick that the story has, but... At the same time, it's a very long story, and the erotic scenes don't encompass that much of it percentage-wise, and so I don't think it detracts enough to be distracting. And I think you um, you get a feel when you're writing for... Like, if I'm writing a story and I'm like, okay, so it's time for the characters to have sex and whatever, they're getting up to that point in the story. And if I start writing the scene and I think, you know, I'm bored, I just want to go on with what's happening with the plot then I'll usually do a fade to black there. Um, the early scenes where the characters are, are feeling each other out, so to speak, um, it's a lot more interesting to write the sex because you don't know what it means to them yet. Once you've established that, it becomes less interesting. And It's like the third quarter of a football game. By then you've established how it's going and you need to pay less attention. I was just thinking there should be a word for like the 6th, 7th, 8th innings of a baseball game because we went to a game this weekend. Yeah, And when it's like there's not much excitement happening... And it could still be like a close game, but it just the whole crowd and the players, everybody kind of seems like, all right, let's just get this over so we can get to the ninth inning where you know exciting yeah. things will happen again. Um, so don't write your sex scenes like a baseball game or the third quarter of a football game. That's uh, I haven't really watched any of those, so there's no chance. <laughs> all right, well, good for you. Uh, also, I don't own a television, and that's just ridiculous. I. You also you, you you live in a cave made of mud. I, I don't own a cell phone, <laughs> not <laughs> or a computer. I don't want society harassing me when I don't want it. Well, we'll we'll just uh, we'll just remember you as the guy who doesn't own a television and doesn't own a cell phone and doesn't watch sports, right? I scrawl my stories in mud. Yes, and then and you bake them into cuneiform tablets, <laughs> and then we make bronze castings of them. This is how you know so much about the origins of writing. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> I can't take credit. It was a guy I knew, though. In the beginning, there was Tube, and then there was not Tube. <laughs> well, the other guy invented writing, but you invented the erotica writing. Technically, not Tube existed before Tube. Really? Because we've, we've had we've had discussions about which came first. <laughs> well, I mean, that's up to you and your story. Who do you want to come first? All right. Don't we have another question or something? We do have another question. It's actually kind of a long one. Um, And this comes to us from Altivo. And Altivo writes, first of all, he wants to toss something in, which I am completely 100% in agreement with. Uh, He says, one thing that I believe should be added to the discussion about writing tools and editing, never rely on a computer spelling checker. 
My mate and I are continuously disturbed by the number of homonyms being abused in published material today, from newspapers to bestsellers, largely because it got past the spelling checker. A spelling checker usually will not catch your confusion between there, there, and there, for example. It takes an attentive copy editor to do that, or be even better, a careful writer. And homonym, by the way, is not a, um, a gay-sounding word. It's a word that sounds like exactly like another word, which can be kind of gay, but... It sounds like a gay word, though. It does. It does. Um, and I, I agree with that, and I've said this in the past, too, that um, spell checkers will take you so far. They're a valuable tool for you to kind of, especially the ones like in Word and Open Office where they mark with red the words they don't know. It's a good tool to skim your document and make sure that you don't have anything that's just completely misspelled. Yeah. But they will also not catch mistakes like from and form if you mistype a word as a word that exists. Yeah. Or the and they. Or the and they. Um, or there, there, and there. Right. Yeah. The so, one thing I will say about the point we're saying about, you know, you know, or better yet, a good writer, I don't care how good a writer someone is, get a copy editor. Yeah, if you're exactly. going to be publishing anything, a good copy editor, it is a must. I don't care who you are. Well, he said a careful writer. Um, Even still... A, I agree that yeah. you need a proofreader. Yeah. And you should... You should be careful enough or be aware enough of the words and able to at least do a good proofread of your own work that you're not completely relying on somebody else but that said all of your books are going to have typos in them um i i've got a typo in every book i've published uh, i don't know where all of them are but my attentive readers are quick to send me hey i found a typo in page 231 so uh, i know they're let me go right to your house and fix that <laughs> i should Recall them, my uh, issue. But anyway, we're um, yes. So, if you're only using a spelling checker, you are most likely missing some words. Um, so let's get to the question. Altiva writes. Although I have written and successfully published erotica in the past, I am no longer interested in writing it. I am, however, very much interested in reading and writing furry fiction in which any sexual activities take place off camera. I realize that this is probably going against the grain of popular furry culture, but I feel quite strongly about it. It disappoints me that publications like Roar, Reynard's Menagerie, and Anthrelations seem to be fallen by the wayside in favor of those that distribute only erotic material. Do you think I'm pursuing a hopeless cause here? Is there hope for serious non-erotic writing with furry characters? Certainly, there seems to be little hope for it in the online venues currently available. With all respect for your own writings, which I do read and enjoy for many reasons, aside from the erotic aspect, I remain sincerely yours, Altivo. And he adds a P.S. that he would like to hear a few words from the esteemed wine connoisseur Kit Silver sometime. And I think we have an episode coming up pretty soon in which uh, we will have some questions addressed to our at-risk wolf, and we will perhaps hear his voice. He's not giving me any signal at all. So we'll just move on to the question. He's stoic. Um, well, we had the I had the privilege of talking to Fox Cutter, who was the editor and publisher of Reynard's Menagerie at uh, Rainforest. I sat on a couple panels with him, and he's uh, very bright, very motivated. And the problem with Reynard's Menagerie was simply that it became uh, unprofitable to produce. Now you can 
possibly relate that to a lack of erotic content, but you couldn't you can't really definitively say that since he wasn't also producing an erotic magazine which survived. Yeah. And the fact that I wasn't even aware that Reynaud's menagerie had stopped until I spoke to him at Raid Verst, which indicates that there's at least some of what was going on was so under the radar that being aware of its existence or not might have been part of the problem too. Yeah, and I, I mean, I knew it had stopped because I was looking at submissions and they ended up closing after the issue that I bought. Oh, uh, okay. Um, but, I mean, you've also got Tales of the Taipan, which, yeah, it's a shared universe, but it's still publishing, and it's been publishing longer than any other furry publication I know of that's still around today. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that that's correct. Um, Roar, the other two publications you mentioned are not gone. Um, Roar is actually, again, it's not, it wasn't stopped because it wasn't, because there wasn't a market for it. It was stopped because Bad Dog Books just stopped publishing stuff for a while, and they are currently trying to bring back Roar and also Fang. Yeah, I mean, they stopped producing Fang at the same time they stopped producing Roar. Right. Um, and Anthrelations, too, um, from what I know of Soulful Press, and I work with those guys pretty closely, um, the the hiatus in Anthrelations was mostly due to um, the fact that the editor started taking on more business responsibility for the press and didn't have the time to produce it and couldn't find anyone else. Um, there was, it was given to somebody else to, to edit and just, you know, nobody was really passionate enough about it to keep it going. Yeah. And as for the, you know, mentioning, you know, oh, these venues that only produce erotica, the only furry publication I know that's currently regularly coming out that is focused on erotica is Heat. Yeah. I can't think of any other publications that are out there that handle erotica. That's the only one. And the the thing about Heat is, uh, or actually, before I get on to that, I'll just add, um, you, Altivo doesn't mention at all um, New Fables, which has been coming out for three years from Sofa Wolf and is non-erotic material. Um, and But... The other thing about Heat is that Heat is kind of a hybrid publication, and they really started taking off with issue three when they started publishing extended comic stories, extended right. graphic stories, with Adam Wan's story in issue three, um, Fluke, Fluke was in issue, issue four, four yeah. Blotch was in issue five, um, Tani de Real is one in issue six, six yeah. and there's a couple other ones, and... I really, I kind of feel like the success of Heat is almost more due to the fandom's love of art and visual material rather than erotica. Um, I, th I think it's also worth pointing out that Heat is definitely erotica and not porn. I would, yeah, I would contend I would that, that it is. I would agree with that. Um, I think the the stories, for the most part, are pretty tasteful. Yeah. And, I mean, I think, honestly, you know, that said, I mean, simply the fact that the points the points that he's making are not really in support of his argument doesn't mean that his argument is flawed. No, and it's certainly worth discussing. Um, I, I, I think that, actually, the larger issue is that with the recession and the economy, there's just not as much a market for furry written publications, period. Right. Um, I'll be really interested to see how uh, Bad Dog Books comes back. 
with um, Fang and Roar. No, and, and, um, and I definitely hope that they do. I think that I've mentioned several times in the podcast how thrilled I am with this resurgence of furry writing and you know people in the fandom being interested in reading. And so having just more material across the board in general is only going to be a good thing. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think, too, there's, there's several books coming out, uh, more in the novel category, but I, I, I kind of do wish there was more short fiction markets. Um, New Fables is pretty specific about what they want. They, they want to be kind of literary and much more, um, you know, I, I, I hate to say it like, like this because it kind of sounds snobbish, but they, they have really high quality standards. They want to be on the shelf with other literary journals. Um, not that the other furry publications don't. I mean, you know, Sofolf in general has really high um, standards, and um, I think it's. I, I know there's a lot of online venues that are coming out too, and in fact, it, if you look outside of furry, which I've been doing a little bit the last year, and Fox Cutter was talking about this as well. There's a lot of markets out there where people will publish your stories. Most of them are e-zines now, and very few of them actually pay. Right. And with online venues specifically, are we talking publishing or are we talking posting? Because those are two different things too. Right. Um, there's some There's some that will publish, but right. a lot of them are are kind of moderated, but it's not really clear how much. Um, but, I mean, seriously, I was looking for venues online to, to publish stories outside of the fandom and you go to any one of these sites and look for, you know, short story magazines, and half the sites you go to, they'll say, we're not accepting submissions anymore, or we've ceased publication, or they won't say anything, but the last update was four years ago. Um, or they say, we'll accept stories, but we don't pay. Um, and it's just, uh, it's not just in furry that yeah. publications are going away. It's kind of, I mean... I think that the resurgence of writing in furry is a really great thing, and I think it's actually kind of a counter to a trend that's going on in science fiction fandom and in the world in general. But are you not to? Do you have any not publishing? Uh, not words of yeah. not wisdom. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I've heard people say that uh, that uh, the erotic stuff uh, out dramatically outsells uh, the stuff that is is not erotic. And uh, I think that's that's difficult for a writer because I mean, if you do want to be read, then you want to write what people are going to read. And if there's a way to to tell a good story and describe an interesting character arc, and and do all the things that you want to do, and pull in the reader base that 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 you'd like to have, then then, then you're going to do that. Um, but uh, you know, speaking for myself. Um, except for the stuff that I write just, you know, for myself and then share it with, with other, with other people. Um, like I said before, when I try and write these stories, I try and make sure that, that, that it means something, that it's never just there, uh, for prurient purposes, uh, that, that I, I'm, I'm always in service of the story. And as long as you're not caught up in this idea that there's an erotic world and there's the normal people world and never the twain shall meet, um, you know, I, I hope that would be okay that a story could include, I mean, 
sex is sex is our second biggest motivator outside of survival. We want to, I mean, we we want to live and we want to have sex. And it's strange to me when people exclude that from fiction when it, when when it's so absent because this drives us so intensely uh, in in overt ways and subconscious ways. And not even necessarily erotic ways, just you know, as like you said, as like a motivating factor of like you know, hey, I'm you know, I'm going to this dinner party. Like, I wonder if they're going to be like you know, any nice people to you know meet and hook up with that sort of thing. Sex shapes our lives. We exist because of sex. We dress the way that we do because of sex. On some level or another, I mean, everything yeah. that we do is is tailored. I'm wearing us. my Woot T-shirt because of sex. <laughs> you, I'm not going to comment on whether or not you're wearing pants. Um, well, we, we haven't done daughters. We haven't. Well, that's true. Uh, I'm glad. I'm. I'll just say I'm sitting across the room from y'all. Um, I do. I do want to actually touch on one other thing. We're kind of running a little short on time, so I want to keep it short. But um, there's another thing that's kind of embedded in the tone of this letter, which is a lot of people take the attitude that. Well, of course, those people who write erotica are successful because they're just writing porn, and anyone will read porn. But, you know, I'm not going to write erotica, and therefore I have no chance of being successful because I'm not going to write sex. Um, the fact is, in erotica, as with in non-erotica, and I, I, will, I will say that I think it's easier to get people to pick up or to read a story that has erotica in it because, as you say, it's such a motivating factor that people want to see that. But also because if you just want a good story, you can go into Barnes & Noble and there's a couple hundred thousand good stories there on the shelves. If you want a good furry erotica that really speaks to kind of something, the, the core of the things you really like... There's one place to go. There's only one place to go. Well, you know, two or three places to go. Fur Planet, we always mention Fur Planet because we love them. Sofa Wolf, um, there, it's a it's a much more passionate small group, and it's hard to get people excited about something that's not as unique. And I would say, you know, the perception that I, I agree with you. I had actually thought about bringing that up, but I didn't quite know how to say it. But I think that within our community, the demand for good stories, whether erotic or not. Er, even if it's just not, is much higher than in the population at large. So it's not like we don't have people in there that that in in our community that that don't want them. It's just that, as you said, you know, it's erotic is a hook. I yes. mean, it's definitely a much easier hook. But and so I do want to concede that point. But um, what I wanted to get at was sort of the the feeling which I, I get from this email and I hear a lot out there which is well I'll never be able to be popular because I'm not writing erotica and the impression that I get and I may just be being a little oversensitive here but the impression I get is that they believe that we who write erotica are only popular because we're writing erotica like it's a cheat or something and right yeah and like we that's not true <laughs> well yeah and I I pointed out to someone who kind of was making this argument that if all it took was writing erotica, there's a hundred, two hundred stories get posted to Yifstar every day and they can read them online for free. They have no call to be spending 20 bucks on a book um, if all they're looking for is erotica. 
And it doesn't make you popular because I don't like most of those people. Yeah, me neither. I mean, I publish <laughs> online. I mean, I'll probably get maybe one story Just posted kidding. We in love a you publication all. every year, and I'll post like three or four stories online. That's less than six short stories coming out of me a year. That's not a lot for the erotica consumed of the audience versus the erotica produced by me. I mean, I'm extremely flattered that I have regular readers who are going to remember me when I don't post a story for three months, and they've probably read dozens of stories in between them. And I think that's that that sounds really arrogant, and that's not what I mean. What I mean is to just it's build okay up to your be, point. It's okay to be proud of your readership. And I, I am proud of my readership, and I'm proud of you know people who provide me feedback. And I'm, I count myself lucky that people do read my stuff because as the years have gone by, the erotic content of the story has certainly taken a back seat. And I, that's uh, my favorite kind of story, actually. Uh, <laughs> but to sort of to sort of build off of what the uh, two of you were actually just saying here, uh, as opposed to especially what NotTube was saying about the demand for good stories. I mean, as furries, we have such a specific interest, and with a very few exceptions, we're the only ones who can cater to it. Like we can only cater to ourselves, and I mean, so but, well, that's at- I mean. Yeah, look look at the fanaticism with which people scour science fiction and fantasy for anything with furry content. Yeah, um, I, I believe that uh, on what was what's the site with the review of the book, The Magicians? Oh, Weasel, uh, Wordsmith, Weasel Wordsmith. WeaselWordsmith dot com. Um, there's a review up of this book, The Magicians, which has kind of minimal furry content, but it does have some. Oh, does it ever? <laughs> and oh, does it ever? <laughs> and I, I, I want to point say, out I haven't read this yet. It's the magician. Oh my! It's, You'll know when you get there. <laughs> it's the magicians by Lev Grossman, and uh, and yeah, uh, if you like, if you're a furry <laughs> and you like even remotely like Harry Potter or Narnia, you need to pick up this book. But but my my point kind of is when when we come across a book that has one of those little hooks in it that appeals to us. We really, everybody tells everyone about it. Everybody's like, oh my God, did you read this? It's got a cat person in it. Uh, otherwise, I pull that to, well, I've already read Pride of Shanur. I guess I'm fucked. <laughs> I'm all tapped out now. Um, so, I guess, to answer your question more directly, um, I believe there's hope for serious non-erotic writing with furry characters. I've done some myself. Again, you know, I have a story in the this year's new fables and it's a delightful story um thank you i like it quite a bit um i remember reading it in a little chinese restaurant in san francisco it made a smile made me um, smile and for the erotic writing you know give some of it a chance too there's a difference between the the you know stuff where the the eroticism serves the story and that which was obviously typed with one hand yeah Uh, i've heard that uh, uh hirosaki-san can actually Write his stories with no hands, which I'm I'm keen to see at some point. It's a uh, ancient Oriental auto secret. I bet it involves bouncing. <laughs> well, most things with autos do. Um, yeah, and I I will say I'm I, I recognize that I write in a very specific niche. Um, not many readers want to read furry fiction, and not many furry readers want to write want to read erotica. And not many furry erotica readers want to read gay erotica, but 
that said... And, oh, you're going to make me read a whole novel to get to the porn? Yeah, well, that too. Um, but that said, I've had a few people tell me that they're straight and enjoyed my novels quite a bit. Um, I believe Hirosaki's also had that experience. I don't know about not too... Yeah, well, the more I talk to them, the less uh, convinced of how straight they really are. But that's a whole other... But, yeah, no, my stuff's gay. Nobody and, who's not gay has enjoyed it at all. But then I kind of think, you know, there's straight erotica that I've enjoyed on a, you know, non-erotica level. So it's certainly possible for someone to enjoy it. If, yeah, actually, uh, Renee Carter Hall's story in the, in the X. X I, was so, very good. I oh, my gosh. That. Yeah. yeah. Um, and even uh, Jonas's story in X was pretty straight. And I thought that was pretty well done, too. Yeah. Um, so our... Uh, at-risk Wolfman is tapping his paw impatiently, telling us that we're kind of over our limit. But he has taken away our alcohol. He has. Well, we already said we didn't have any, so... Well, I just drank it all. <laughs> You're not bouncing nearly enough to be uh, having drunk all the alcohol. Well, I told you I also had decaf. They don't cancel each other out. Yeah, it's decaf. You understand how this works. Oh. <laughs> so, in summary, blowjobs. In summary... Time for the blowjobs. No, no, no. Um, in summary, you know, just write good stories. And that's what we always say. It's what it always comes down to. And uh, we promise we will have uh, Kit Silver on uh, at some point in the future, even if it's just for a word or two. But thank you for uh, joining us. And again, thank you to Not Too for joining us. Thanks for having me back, guys. Oh, uh, we'll, we'll have to. We'll have to do it again. So, um, I'm Kyle Gold. I'm Cam Harasaki. And I'm not Tube. <laughs> Good night.